Well, if you've been with us over these past few weeks, we've been working through this book, Ecclesiastes, book of wisdom, it's in the Old Testament, uh, and with it being in the Old Testament, it immediately erases our antenna uh, as we're reading the Bible, just to help you to maybe come to terms with how the Bible speaks. When we're reading in the Old Testament, we're keeping in mind that it's always got a destination. It's pointing towards something, it's pointing to Jesus. Uh, and so we're, we're prepared for that. We're going to be looking at that uh, as we work through this section. And the other thing that we said right at the very beginning was that there are different ways in which the wisdom writer speaks about viewing the world. Uh, and this week's uh, view is, if you like, it's a journey towards wisdom. We've spent quite a bit of time where we've been looking at the emptiness, the bleakness uh, of life. Uh, and what the writer now does is he starts to take us on a journey, and he asks the question, how do we want to live in a way which is wise? How do we define wisdom? How do we define living a wise life? And even bigger than that, why should we bother thinking about living a wise life? They're the questions uh, that we're going to be looking at this afternoon. We live in a, a, a prosperous age. We live in an age which, comparatively speaking, has more leisure opportunity in, in relative terms than, than any point in history. Uh, and so when we come to the Bible, when we come to read something that was written maybe 3,000 years ago, we've got to recognize that in some ways we need to think about it and then think about shaping it for how we live today. Uh, I don't think any of us are going to go home with the absolute fear of whether the, the, the weather is going to destroy our crop and whether we're not going to eat during the coming uh, summertime. We're not in that kind of mindset, are we? Uh, but at the same time, I think it still speaks. We live in a leisure-filled world. Aldous Huxley raised a question about that when he wrote Brave New World. He said, is that all good? Is it a good thing that we have that? Or is there a danger to it? I think he said there is a danger. Uh, and it's not just secular writers who are saying this. The Bible said it 3,000 years ago. There was, a, there was a little picture that was going around social media during the past couple of weeks. I think it was really poignant. Listen to this. A 28-year-old... 20, in 2017, I'm not ready for a relationship. A 28-year-old in 1817, I've got 11 children. A 28-year-old in 1017, I've lived a good life. Wow. That kind of puts things into perspective, doesn't it? We're living in an age where we think we're just about beginning life. We don't even want to think about all of the other stuff. And yet, maybe 10, 17, people were thinking, well, that was just a great life. It puts things into perspective, and it suggests that our freedom, our liberty, our leisure, it is potentially one of the most dangerous things to us. Because it kind of surrounds us with a falsehood. 
uh, it surrounds us with an unreal life. And the writer here is saying wisdom needs to be spoken into you, needs to be spoken into us. And the first thing that we see is wisdom says, number one, be realistic about life. Number one, be realistic about life. Read verse 1 to 6. A good name is better than fine perfume, and the day of death better than the day of birth. That's a great start, isn't it? The day of death is better than the day of birth. Why? It is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Frustration is better than laughter, because a sad face is good for the heart. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. It is better to to heed the rebuke of a wise person than to listen to the songs of fools. Like the crackling of thorns unto the pot, so is the laughter of fools. This too is meaningless. I think that in lots of ways, they are some of the most, some of the most, mind you, I'll probably say it every week, don't I? Some of the most powerful words in this book, like the crackling of thorns under the pot, is the laughter of fools. It's funny, isn't it? Um, I was chatting to somebody a few days ago, and they were talking about um, going away on holiday. And uh, they'd gone to this beautiful sort of, um, I suppose it would be a kind of chalet. And, and in the corner there was a, a real log-burning stove. Uh, and the husband kind of marched forward and sort of said, this is, this is fire, this is man's place. And he kind of, he took over chopping the wood and lighting the fire as something really kind of, engaging about lighting a fire. I'm sure some of you will have experienced that. If you haven't experienced it, I feel really sorry for you because it is something amazing. And then you sit around as a group of people around a fire, a, a real fire that's lit that you have to put stuff on to keep it burning. And then you put a, a kind of the, the little, the, the, the offcuts, the bits of thorns the waste, and it goes onto the fire and it, it cackles up. What does it do? Next to nothing in terms of the job of heating the pot. It does next to nothing. It's gone in an instant. You put the thin bits of, of, of thorn on, it makes a great sound but doesn't contribute to the cooking. That's the idea that's here. It's saying laughter is like that. If you want to really think in in wise terms, be really clear in your minds about the true nature of life. You see how that speaks into our society so incredibly powerfully? The reality is that we are playing ourselves away to eternity. We are gamesing ourselves away to eternity. We are playing as though it doesn't exist as though it will last forever. The laughter is a crackling under, under the pot. One of the things that I find really amazing is that we often hear this kind of thing in the Bible and we, we want to kind of step away from it. 
we want to say, oh, that doesn't sound very nice. Let me just take you, those of you who don't know the latest Katy Perry song, which isn't on my phone, <laughs> Chained to the Rhythm. I, I won't read all of the lyrics, but I will read what the New Statesman had to say about it. If you're a really attuned listener, you might have noticed that the lyrics of this song explore a very significant atmosphere. Are we crazy, Perry sings, living our lives through a lens, trapped in our own white picket fence like ornaments, so comfortable we're living in a bubble, so comfortable we cannot see the trouble. Aren't you lonely up there in utopia where nothing will ever be enough, happily numb? The chorus muses that we all think we're free, but in fact, we are stumbling around like a wasted zombie. <laughs> it's a swipe. That's a little clever play of words there, isn't it? It's a swipe at social media, Instagram culture, online dating, whatever. As we all know, modern technology is bad. People who take photos aren't enjoying the moment and glimpses other po people's perfect lives leave us lonely and empty. Kids these days just don't feel anything anymore. I know you're saying, Yo, have you kind of, have you written that and sent it into the New Statesman because you keep banging on about it? That's not me. That's uh, Annie Leskiewicz writing just in the past week about the incredible and poignant insight in a popular song which is looking at life and imagining that it's all just a bubble bubble and we're not recognizing the trouble trouble. I find that amazing. I, in one sense, I want to say, Katy Perry, you're on to something, which is quite ironic. <laughs> The last one of the last people who you might think is onto something. She might be on something, but she's not onto something, General. Onto something. You are onto something. It's though you're stretching out, you're reaching out, and you're saying, Life, there's something wrong. Life shouldn't be like this. There is an emptiness. <laughs> she's saying, in a sense, precisely what the writer of Ecclesiastes was saying. 3,000 years ago, if you fill your life with the emptiness, with the bubble, you are not recognizing the trouble. You are not living in the reality of life. You're living in a utopia. Two videos have been released. One is a kind of genius play on a theme park where everybody's having a great time, and then at the end of it, the old folks get kind of flung out of the roller coaster out to the other side. It's really powerful when you read into it what is going on. That's the end of the fun, and you're gone. And the writer is saying here, as we read God's Word, be aware of that. It is better to live in the consciousness of mourning than the house of feasting. 
There is a poignancy to being recognizing of the reality of death because it has an impact on how we view life. I I plead with you, don't live life in the bubble. Don't live like that. That is not wise living. That is not how it should be. So, the first thing that we see is wisdom says be realistic about life. The second thing we see, we see wisdom says, is understand the poison of corruption. Verse 7, understand the poison of corruption. Extortion turns a wise person into a fool, and a bribe corrupts the heart. That's not, as we read it there, extortion is not somebody on the receiving end of extortion. It's the wise person who engages in extortion becomes a fool. Turns a wise person into a fool. It's, it's surrounding everywhere, isn't it? Some of you will remember 1995, Barings Bank, the world's second oldest bank at the time. Founded in 1762. What what a heritage. I guess many of the people who walked in through the doors each morning, they had a sense of history of what they were engaged in. And yet there was a little group who had none of that sense of history, none of that sense of responsibility. In fact, it would seem as though driven into the patterns of behavior within that and many other banking establishments was an absolute desire for profit. Nick Leeson, the rogue trader, hidden away an account, an account which hid all of his bad investments, something which hid the losses so that it looked as if there was profit all the time. And then, in one moment, it all came crashing down. He was later interviewed and he said this, we were all driven to make profits, profits, and more profits, and I was the rising star. understand the poison of corruption. Now, it doesn't actually have to be on that scale. The reality is that when we shave a few hours, when we live in a way which takes just that little bit and takes a little bit more and we hide it away and we, we live in, a, in that kind of strange place between truth and untruth, It changes us. We become different people. We get driven by those simple little actions. And what we are in effect saying is we are saying, the the life that I'm living is not the life that I should be living. I should be living a better life. And I will twist and change and corrupt and extort and bribe my way to that better life because I've decided that that's the life that I should be living. We are taking this world into our hands and we're saying, I will change this because this is my world. That's the issue. 
Wisdom says, understand the poison of corruption. Jane Park, just the past couple of weeks, have you seen it? I think she's 21 now. She won millions at the age of 17 uh, on Lotto. Some of us might be thinking, oh, wow, can you imagine? How amazing must that be? She's suing them because of the money that they gave her at 17. She said this, I have material things, but apart from that, my life is empty. What is my purpose in life? That is, that is tragic. That is so sad. Living in this world as though that kind of security is everything. So first thing wisdom says, be realistic about life. Second, understand the poison of corruption. Third, live today, not yesterday. Live today, not yesterday. Verse 10, do not say, why were the old days better than these? For it is not wise to ask such questions. You can, you can kind of, you can hear people who you know, or you can think back and say, that is exactly how I live. I live as though I want to live back there, not where I am today. Now, the, the reality is, you need to be aware of this. I know it's a bit of a joke, but it's absolutely serious. It is easier and easier to fall into this trap the older that we get. That is a reality. The older we get, the more we look back with rose-tinted glasses and say it was great back there and it's really bad now. And we're saying, I want to live back there. Whether it's the days when we used to go out and we would play from dawn to dusk and our parents didn't know where we were and never worried. Or whether it's the days before that constant demand of the mobile phone, or whether it's the days of the original Pokemon cards. Whatever it is, we fall into this trap of thinking back there was better. What are we saying? We're saying, I know how it should be, and it shouldn't be like this. Now, now the reality is there is a sense in which Balanced, reflective thought needs to address the issues of, of where we are headed. But it's different. This is talking about something different. It's living in that kind of constant desire for back then without a reality that we are living now. It's a bit like the first one, isn't it? It's kind of one way of living in the bubble and ignoring the trouble it's by kind of living in this kind of sense of everything's fun. The other way is by wishing that I was living somewhere else instead, in another time, in another place, with another set of experiences, with another set of responsibilities or lack of responsibilities that I used to have back then, and that was great. And what we are saying is it's so much better where I'm not now. Three things that wisdom says... Be realistic about life, understand the poison of corruption, and live today, not yesterday. 
Why? <laughs> Why is this wisdom? Why is this wise? Well, the first thing that we can see is it's a protection in a way which cannot be lost. Look at what it says in verse 11. Wisdom like an inheritance is a good thing and benefits those who see under the sun. Maybe you're looking forward to an inheritance. Maybe you've received an inheritance. But the difference between wisdom and an inheritance is, is wisdom is something which you have that can never be taken away. An inheritance is something which you have which you can lose. There's the difference. Wisdom is something which you, you know inside, you hold on to deeply. It becomes you. Do you want to live a life that's like that? Do you want to live a life which is wise? Do you want to live a life which is not wise? 1984, great story, Winston Smith, looking about the issue of what's being taken from him, he says this to O'Brien, I know you'll fail, something in this world, some spirit you will never overcome. (laughs) You can take all sorts of things from me, but there's something inside that you'll never overcome. What is it, this principle? And then the tragedy, Winston goes on to say, I don't know. The spirit of man. Something amazing about all of these little references and the way in which from Katy Perry to 1984 to Brave New World, they're all talking about something which is missing, but not they're, they're clamoring for something But in the words of Winston Smith, they all say, I don't know. I can't quite get there. The great thing about the Bible is it takes us that step further and it says, this is what it is. It takes us beyond and it says this, to go further is where you need to be. Proverbs 9 9 verse 10 says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 says this. In the next verse, verse 13, it says this. Consider what God has done. You see the turning point? It's been saying, look, wisdom is a great thing. It's really wise that you Make sure that you're realistic about life, that you understand the, corruption of po- uh, the poison of corruption, that you live today and not yesterday, but, but so what? Where does it take you? It's pointing you to somewhere which is considering the reality of the living God. That's where it takes you to. It says this, consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? All of those things back there that you've been trying to change, where you've been saying, this life that I'm living isn't how it ought to be. There's a better life that I should be living. The writer is saying, think about this. God has shaped your life in a way which is a particular shape. 
Do you think you can straighten it? Or do you think the reality is that God is placing you in a particular place, in a particular situation? You are living today. You are not living yesterday. You are facing the reality of mourning. All of those different issues. You are where you are because that is the pathway that God has placed you on. And you cannot straighten it. It is where it is. What does that mean that we should do therefore? Think we can separate ourselves from God and fight and say, no, I won't have it. I'm not living like that. I'm changing everything. Well, of course we can. And we can live our lives continually fighting against God's plan for our lives. And we can continue with that sense of dislocation, that sense that I don't know where I am. Or we can say, I am living in your world with you as king, and that is a great place to be. This crooked pathway, this life that I've lived which seems so uncertain, is not my life designed by me, but it is your life for me. And my greatest place, my greatest security, my greatest joy The depth of my happiness is in realizing that I am connected to you. I am in relationship with you, no matter where the twists and turns of life may take me. Whether it's constantly living as though we're in a bubble, whether we're twisting it through money, whatever it might be, the writer says, consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are good, be happy. Absolutely. When the crooked pathway is happy, be happy. But when times are bad, consider this. God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about the future. We used to sing an old hymn. God holds the key of all unknown, and I am glad. If other hands should hold the key, or if He trusted it to me, I might be sad. There is a great peace in not knowing the future, in placing our lives in the hand of God and saying, you have it. You've got it. I am in your hands, not my hands. That's, that's here. That's 3,000 years ago. But, but that, that's living, knowing that the unseen God exists and living in the peace of that unseen God. But what might change if the unseen God becomes present with us? What might change? Some of the most stunning words in the Bible are found in John chapter 17. They are amazing words. They are words which, in the, in the eternal Jesus, in human form, in this world, in the way that He prays, He connects this life with an eternal life in the way that He prays. They are mesmerizing words. I pray for them, Jesus says. That's for those who trust in Him. I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me. 
for they are yours. They're the ones who, like the Ecclesiastes writer is saying, I'm trusting God. All I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and glory has come to me through them. I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, protect them, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me, so that they may be one as we are one. Isn't that amazing? Jesus, when He was present with us, He prayed that we might know the oneness with the Father as He knows the oneness of the Father. He prayed for us that we might have our minds and our hearts and our emotions connected to eternity and not living just the now. That is the difference. Aldous Huxley, Katy Perry, George Orwell, you are scrambling for something. You are saying that there is something wrong, and the extra is this, a way of being connected with eternity, a way of saying this is not everything. And Jesus prays, I want them to know that. I guess we might know if we are followers of Jesus, if we're able to say alongside that prayer, Lord Jesus, I pray that I might know that. That that might be my peace. As I go out and I head out during this coming week with everything that I face, I pray that I might be able to live a wise life because I am living in the light of eternity, in the reality of the risen Jesus. And the crooked path and the journey that I'm wandering through is not in my hands, but it's in my Father in heaven's hands. And that is well. We might say at the end of that, it is well with my soul.